Kurt, just without, before we start, I just want to say that we've had Nance, obviously, on this program. We've had Liz Wisen, we've had Jason O'Connell, and Eric many Tucker. others, Eric Tucker. And I just feel like without ever meeting you, I know you because they all talk about you. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a bit of a prankster reputation. And, uh, and when you're in a vulnerable situation, like a big part, you know, you need a lot of support. It can be frightening. So I'm so owed a lot, you know, a lot of payback. And yeah. it, it could happen at any moment. Yeah, <laughs> something about jumping out of bushes and scaring people. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. that was started by another actor, Chris Edwards, but he but does Kurt... an amazing wild pig impersonation. You're walking in at Boscobel along the road, and then like that, no one expects a wild pig attack, you know. And so he would hide there, and then people would scream. And then they'd like <laughs> from the snorting. Anyway, so I've carried that tradition on. Much more than it's. Uh, Although you were not the other night, someone did it yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. That's so right. now that I'm old and infirm, that's right. <laughs> it comes back. back. It comes back. Yeah. yeah, it comes back to haunt you. Hello and welcome to the State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer, and I'm Jim Elliot. Now, long-time listeners of the State of Shakespeare may know that the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival is one of our favorite companies. We've had special guests from Hudson Valley on the podcast many times over the past 12 years. 12 years, Jimbo. Yeah, I know. Crazy. You've, you've already heard a little bit from one of our guests who will be with us today. And when we received the following press release from Hudson Valley, we couldn't wait to talk to this guest and a very special second guest. <laughs> Well, here's the subject line of the press release, which obviously is a great hook. Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival's Romeo and Juliet, starring a couple in their <clears throat> 60s, Kurt Rose and Nance Williamson. And we are delighted that they are both here with us today. Hi, Nance. Hi, Kurt. Hello. Hello, hello. We're thrilled to be here. We're so happy to have you here. The, the press release goes on to read, married for 38 years. Kurt and Nance have been acting in Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival productions for 24 and 21 years, respectively. And Romeo and Juliet will be their 70th show together. Actually, it's our 69th, but... Fittingly, we thought. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, they missed that one. It's uh, not, not 70 just yet, but it's... It's still a big number. It's still a big number, yeah. They must be planning something then for this happening. I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a reprise, you know, they'll keep it. Oh my but god, this a lot of shows and we're kind of we've been amazed at that number for years. So it's like it just keeps growing and that's an amazing longevity in this business. I mean yeah, not only I, to be together for so long, but to be acting together and stay together for so long. That's yeah. incredible. Well, you know, it's, it's like not quite half the plays have been together. And we started off in, in a company together. And then when we moved from Dallas, where we were in the, at the Dallas Theater Center to New York, you know, so we kind of grew up with the idea of company. And so it was so valuable to me to be able to work with somebody. And it, so it just sort of worked out, you know, like casting directors sort of got, got to know us together. And so we've played, you know, a lot of opposite, but we've also played brother and sister and we've played, you know, aunt and uncle. Or um, aunt and nephew. That I mean, aunt one. and nephew. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Lunisa. It was Lunisa. Lunisa. So it's he a was, memory uh, play. So it, it yeah. kind of worked. But, um, right. I, I quickly say it was. <laughs> it was yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah. So it's been really kind of a fun exploration of of you know your your marriage, but seen through different playwrights and different couples and different relationships. And uh, it's but to get Romeo and Juliet at the kind of towards the end of the career kind of deal is was shocking. You know, I, I was like, well, what's the what's the concept? You know, what's the how are we doing that? And then, you know, I thought, are, are we going to be really playing our age so that Romeo lifts his shirt up and takes an insulin shot in his belly <laughs> or he ascends the balcony or, you know, he are we putting a... glasses on to read letters and, you know, is there Viagra involved? In is any there way? Viagra involved? Yeah. Where did this concept come from? What, did you pitch it or did, was oh. it pitched to you? And it was pitched to us. The director, though, I believe, pitched it to who Gay Taylor Upchurch had, is our director. And she, uh, I think she pitched it. To she, Davis McCollum, who's the artistic director. And then Davis called us, I don't know, around Thanksgiving and said, what do you think about that? And we laughed, you know, and we thought, what a nutty idea. <laughs> and then we kind of thought about it. And it well, like, who refuses work in the pandemic anyway? It's well, like, well, of course, yes. But then, then we thought about it. It's like, how are we doing it? How are we going to do that? That was our big question with GT. And she said, I don't know. I think you're just going to lead a like you've been doing, she said, like you want to think of it as leading a company of storytellers telling the story and we'll just tell it as truthfully as we can and see what happens. And um so, and we so just, there was no spin. You know, it was just yeah. tell the story. And uh So we just say the lines. You know, <laughs> we don't act like young children. We just are who we are speaking the part. Right. Although there was a temptation to do kind of a, a Monty Python, you know, breathy and and reedy oh you know <laughs> what light and just pitch it up and then that just that was is hideous you know that it's was like hideous a, after yeah. a minute that was yeah hideous. that wasn't even a good joke <laughs> <laughs> one of the differences is that if you're a younger person and you haven't had a relationship like the two of you you know you don't have some of that wisdom have either of you played romeo and juliet in the past no i've played the nurse in a, a number of productions and you've played i've played the prince aeschylus and i've played tybalt and i've played the friar in an audiobook and i've directed it once at a westchester community college so i've been around the play but i've never done romeo but you know it's so interesting even having experience with the play and you kind of think well we we know what this is all of a sudden when you're stepping into julia for instance saying those lines it's like Oh my gosh, it, there's all sorts of discovery that I didn't know. And so I was thrilled by that and kind of embarrassed that I knew the play so well and I didn't know the play that well at all from her point of view. And the range of Juliet is so extraordinary that it feels like such a privilege at 64 years old to be able to play this young woman that is, you know, and we've done We've done Beatrice and Benedict and Antony and Cleopatra and Mackers. And, and we've played all these fantastic Shakespeare couples. But there's something about this play that's sort of very eye-opening. And I'm learning so much, which is such a thrill after 50 Shakespeare plays mm -hmm. to kind of have all sorts of sparks sparking that you didn't expect. I think, that's great. I think Romeo, you think of it, and Romeo and Juliet, you kind of think, uh, like a lady came up to me and said, oh, good, I'm glad you're playing it. You won't be so filled with all that whining. And I thought, <laughs> is that what Romeo comes off as? I mean, to this lady it did. And, uh, but I mean, I think, you know, it's like, I'm, you know, he's 
mopey because Roslyn won't return his love at the beginning. And then, then he's on a high with the finding Juliet and the balcony scene and Friar Lawrence. And then, but it's always kind of a, a, an angst thing. And then when he gets banished and, but I, I have found that, like Nancy said, the range is, you know, you feel like it's a bigger range than some of the, the big tra tragic parts like Macbeth, you know, even Richard the third, I was working on that a couple years ago. And then that, that seems so gigantic, but in terms of just, kind of an emotional ride, Romeo does this roller coaster that's just crazy. And even before he gets the news of Juliet's death, he has a monologue to the audience about, I had a dream where I died and then Juliet came and kissed me and I woke up and I was an emperor and isn't love great? You know, <laughs> I just have this great feeling, cheerful thoughts have lifted me up and, uh, and then he gets, you know, so it's just this kind of, it's tragedy. So it's, uh, you know, every turn is blocked and then you give up and then something new happens. Anyway, it's just a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful journey. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that one of the things about Romeo and Juliet is that it's a love story or a romance or a comedy until the first death, which is, I think, in Act 3 or something. I mean, right. It, it takes a while before it takes that turn. So you do have that sort of, as opposed yeah. to the inevitable walk towards the end. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> There's so much joy and there's so much love and there's such a, a, a kind of buoyancy about so much of the play early on. And even in some of the tragedy, there's such a, a kind of, I don't know, a shooting star of feeling that it, it never bottoms out, even in the dark. Um, so HBS says it's an age-blind production. Is that just the two of you playing Romeo and Juliet or are there other age-blind castings yeah there's there's sex blind there's age blind so our friar lawrence is a young woman in her 30s and benvolio is a woman and our but, parents are in their 30s and 40s so yeah yeah our parents are in their uh, 30s they're not and 40s. quite they might be a little age blind so there's a what gt said in terms of casting our director gt is that she just kind of was looking for the quality of the character in the actor and so she was trying to keep her mind open to, you know, anybody who brought in that into the room. So in a way, it, it's an idea of storytellers telling the story. And so we just happen to be the Romeo and Juliet tonight telling this story. This is such an interesting concept, the idea of age blind, an age blind production. And, and definitely they're shining a light. Hudson Valley is shining a light on the, on the fact that this is an unusual spin on it. You said that you're not, you're, you're playing the words and you're playing the situations. Are there any aspects of the given circumstances of being 15 years old, 14 year olds, 13 years old that you find are inevitable in the characterization? I would say there's an, there's an innocence and a naivete, like even in the balcony scene, it's like, do you love me? And I, I know that you'll say yes. I've read this in my books. I know you'll say yes. And I know that I'll believe you because I want to believe you. But if you swear, you may prove false. You may be lying. And they say, Jove laughs at, you know. So there's a certain amount of inexperience that is a part of Juliet. Right. There's a, I mean, it's, it's first time. I think that's the big yeah. difference when you're 64 and you're. Uh, you've uh, had your heart broken. You know, you have a little more gravitas about life can, you know, hurt. And yet Romeo enters the play with nothing but hurt and prickly pear, just leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. That I think is very identifiable to uh, maybe any age, but I think discovery is kind of the thing. So every touch, every feeling can be 
the first time. And so there's a little bit of a, a challenge on that when you obviously not the first time, you know, but the first time you touch someone's face, when you uh, run your hand along their body. And, you know, there's just some kind of a delicacy, I think, of, uh, of the first time. And that's kind of great. I mean, great for a married couple to say. Uh, yeah, you get you to know, fall in love all over again. Yeah, I say, yeah. I'm going to look at you as if I'd never saw it, seen you before Yeah, in this uh, light, in this situation, on this with this feeling and uh i think that concept is ageless i had a friend of mine she was in her 70s and she had just met someone and she goes you know what it's like when you smell someone when you smell like their aftershave or something and it's like and then somebody else is wearing it and it just kind of tickles you and i thought oh yeah falling in love and new love and excitement is not relegated to youth you know right right that, totally. that no matter what age you are those feelings are hoped for there's so much hope and there's so much fear and there's so much anticipation and and i think that is timeless well you mentioned it so i don't want to get too personal and obviously you don't have to answer this question but how has working on this particular incredible love story informed your relationship Oh, I mean, I've just been th thrilled to do it because, you know, when I first met Kurt, we were doing As You Like It, and I didn't like him at first. <laughs> and we had this scene where the, the way it was staged, you know, Orlando is fighting Charles, the wrestler, and it was across the room. And I had to see him kind of fall in love from a distance, you know, eyes across the room kind of thing. And I noticed these brown eyes. And I had a few days before had a dream about these brown eyes. And I just thought it was my boyfriend at the time because he had brown eyes. And as I'm really looking at Kurt, really trying to fall in love with this guy I'm mad at, across the room, I realized they were Kurt's eyes. And I thought, oh, I need to pay attention to this. You know, I need, the universe is talking to me. I was 25. And so it's such a vivid memory to me about falling in love with Kurt. And so now the idea of seeing Kurt kind of across the room again with those brown eyes and seeing them anew and afresh, that it's, it kind of unzips all those memories that, not that they really have gone away, but that you, you, you're in them, you know, right. you're in them. So the play really connects up to the personal and it's all encased in Shakespeare, you know, so yeah. it's like, oh, <laughs> You know, awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I think it's much more, this is a much kinder play to a relationship than, you know, if you're doing George and Martha in Virginia <laughs> Woolf. <laughs> yeah, one would say. Just scabs. This one is more, how can I be of service to you and to our life together? And, right. you know, it, that kind of feels like the overall vibe is, uh, is one of connection and not one of uh, destruction. Know, destruction. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's actually been fun, I think, to, uh, and it's also been scary, you know, I think just because it feels out of your safety zone, playing a part that you're 40 years too young or whatever you are, you know, uh, and so then we kind of temper that with maybe by doing our best text work on the line, maybe something in the line opens up and people hear it in a different way than if a, a brilliant 22-year-old actor right out of grad school is playing Romeo, you know, then maybe there's something different that will be heard when more experienced actor is playing it with a deeper voice with a you know that uh, we just kind of hope that that does happen and i think we're we're getting the the idea that it is that there's something about the text is alive in a different way do you ever wink at the audience you know like acknowledge that 
No, there's a couple of moments. There's in the scene with Lady Capulet and the nurse and in the beginning of the play, and they mention <clears throat> she's not yet 13 or whatever it is. And so the audience kind of looks to me like, how is she going to handle that? And I just smile. There's no real acknowledgement of the age. I would say there's no direct acknowledgement of that, but there's not a kind of embarrassment about it either. There's just a kind of like... Right. Yeah, I think if you're ultimately wanting to get to the tragedy, you want them to identify with you as much as possible. And, and even if it's... Uh, and I, I don't think you want to uh, let them off the hook too much. Just to return for a moment to something you mentioned a little while ago, Nance, about attempting <laughs> to fall in love with Orlando and to fall <laughs> and maybe inadvertently falling in love with Kurt at the same time um, across across a room within the context of a Shakespeare play. What a great segue to one of the pieces that you chose to share with us today, which is the Holy Palmer's kiss scene. I, I think it's act one, scene five. I love this scene. It's just indelible. It's just indelible in my mind from the Zeffirelli production, you know, which is so lavishly mm -hmm. gorgeous. It'll be really fun to hear you hear you do the scene. Would you would you do it for us? Sure. I don't know if I can do it without acting it with him, but maybe we will. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Okay. If I profane with my unworthiest hand this holy shrine, the gentle sin is this: my lips, two blushing pilgrims, ready stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss. Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hand too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. Have not saints lips, and holy palmers too? Aye, pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer. Then, dear saints, <laughs> let lips do as hands do. They pray. Grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. Saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. Then move not, whilst my prayer's effect I take. Thus from my lips by thine, my sin is purged. Then have my lips the sin that they have took? Sin from my lips, O trespass sweetly urged. <laughs> Give me my sin again. You kiss by the book. <laughs> and then the nurse. Delightful. <laughs> okay, so I've always had a question about this scene. First of all, it is a sonnet, right? They create a sonnet. Yeah. But I've always wondered about your last line, Juliet. You kiss by the book. Yeah. Well, it can be different things, I think. You know, uh, uh, in all the prep for the thing, you know, you read all the different notes and you read everything. So one, you kiss by the book can be like, that kiss is right out of a manual, you know, that that you kiss um, very um, standard, standard. Correctly. Yeah. But the way we're kissing and also the way we've set it up, there's a couple of little references, this being one. And the and Lady Capulet says talks about Paris and he's like a book uncovered look into the margin of his eyes. And so there's all these book references. So when I make my first entrance, uh, I have a book so that she's like a smart girl. She's sitting in her bedroom reading this book. And so that this is how she's kind of understood life is that she's in this Verona world of that's very dangerous. 
that she lives a very kind of cloistered, quiet, indoor girl life. And so her understanding of love, her understanding of romance, her understanding of everything is from books. So she's a smart, inexperienced young woman. And so when you kiss by the book can also be your kiss like better than any romance novel I've ever read. Right, right, right. That's kind of the how I'm taking it. And the way we also have it staged, it's during the middle of this ball and Kurt and I step on these sta- these chairs. So we're above the audience and above the company and they're all kind of dancing in slow motion low below. And it's sort of, I wouldn't call it erotic, but it, it's a kind of sensual movement of the of bodies underneath as if they're the stirrings of what's happening between Romeo and Juliet in this. And so, and then when the nurse, she breaks that, that you kiss by the book, that it's really breaking a moment of connection as opposed to a moment of like, ew, teasing. Yeah. Yeah. Teasing. So if I were describing Romeo and Juliet, if I'd never seen it before, but describing it based on what I just saw and heard the two of you do, I would say Romeo and Juliet, they are really, really intelligent and they have so much fun together. Yeah, I think so. Because because it that scene is a sonnet, you kind of think, okay, is that just Shakespeare's way of writing the play? Or is it not only the kind of flirtation and connection and chemistry that the two of them have, but also that they're able to speak to one another in the how they say the words is also, so it's about two hearts meeting and two minds meeting and two everything's meeting, you know, that it has, that they've really found a kind of connection that's full bodied (laughs) and full minded and full hearted. And so, so the form of it is as thrilling as is the, the spark of their uh, sexual connection or their romantic connection. I know finding the rhyme, you know, like in, in that sonnet, you know, taking the rhyme that someone sets up and finishing it and then starting one and then they finish that. I mean, that it reminds me a lot when you see people, and I'm not one of them, that is really good at freestyle rapping, you know, where they can da 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 and then just extemporaneously rhyme it and, and take the content and, and play with it. So we've thought of it like that, that it's just this you know, it's a foreplay game in a weird way. And it's like, but of the mind that kind of, and Romeo, I think has just been dying for a connection. You know, I mean, he and Mercutio do this kind of wit play, but with this woman that he's uh, attracted to, just, I think it just exponentially makes his, uh, his blood heat, so. Yeah. So to speak. <laughs> yes. It really makes me want to see this production. The knee-jerk reaction about Romeo and Juliet is that they're they're a couple of beautiful fools, very young, beautiful fools. They they fall in love. They make bad choices all along the way that ends in tragedy. And back to what you were saying, Kurt, I really feel like the two of you have paved the way for the tragedy because we are going to be invested in you and in your relationship. And when things go, spoiler alert, they don't go well at the end. Mm-hmm. I think that the audience is 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 really, really going to be impacted. Yeah. You know, there's something going on like right now with like gun violence and young people kind of taking the violent way. Uh, maybe that's always been around. Maybe that's what this play also says. But uh, but I wonder about, you know, there's a moment when uh, when Tybalt challenges Romeo and you think, and I, I just felt like Romeo's got this moment. You know, I could just say, I married Juliet. You know, Tybalt, don't fight me. I'm your kinsman now. But that might also lead to a, you know, violence there. And, and he chooses to just say, 
I'm not going to fight you. You know, he, he seems to be taking the nonviolent choice and Tybalt won't let it go. And, uh, and it falls apart. But I just, for me, that, that moment is one of those that like opened up this time around. It's like that Romeo can see, here's a point, this uh, uh, interstitial point that it's like, if we go wrong here, this could be bad. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it go right. And then Mercutio kind of stirs it up and makes it to where they can't do anything but pursue it. But um, I'm so kind of interested in in this, uh, if we didn't keep secrets, you know, I feel like the, our secrets somehow get the better of us in this one, you know, and it's, it starts with the friar too. You know, we're going to do this little secret plan and, uh, you know, and then that just starts getting them in trouble, you know, and, and then every step along the way, it's like, well, then when Tybalt is dead, then maybe that was the time to open up. You know, but they don't. And so then, you know, and then Paris, I mean, all these other lives get tragically end because uh, because we kept it to ourselves. And so I kind of find that. Yeah. There's a couple of times in the play, too, where you think, could I go tell mom and dad or could I tell somebody? Should I open my mouth? And it's like you just they don't. They don't. And and the friar has a plan and then they have to has to make another plan and then there's another plan. So. The only person, you know, I have the nurse on my side up to a certain point until she t- says, Mary Paris, go ahead. Romeo's a dish cloud compared to, pa-. you know, and so I like, so my father has nearly disowned me. My mother says no to me. The nurse has disappointed me to the point where I sever my heart from her. And so the only person left is the friar who had the plan for Romeo to survive and the plan for me to do go into the crypt and the plan for us then to run away to Mantua and so it's like all these plans that seem like they could work and then they don't you know and they just don't but the truth but telling what really happened never was one of those plans (laughs) if only yeah if only (laughs) so that might be the youth yeah that might be the youth and that you know, it takes place in four days. So time is kind of the pressure cooker of the events of the thing. You're going to get married tomorrow. Oh, no. Or in two days. No, no, no. We're going to change it to tomorrow. And then it's like, oh, okay. I just thought of this. You're kind of your father's daughter. He's trying to hurry up that marriage to Paris. And you're the one that in the balcony scene says, if your purpose is marriage, then let's get it <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah. Go ahead. I am my, my, I am my, my daddy's daughter. Yeah. One real quick, going back to the scene that you just read, you were talking about how it's a meeting of the minds as well as the body and the excitement. And I think that's, to me, that's like, you You both have played Beatrice and Benedict. Yeah. And I think that that's where they connect as well. Right. And I, and I think throughout a lot of Shakespeare's plays, the lovers connect not just in that physical way, yeah. but up here. And I think that this is such a, it's not, you know, that teasing Beatrice and Benedict quality. It's that that we can do this. We can actually put these lines together yeah. as a couple. And I think I just love that that's part of what Shakespeare is exploring here. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, too, that, that sometimes if you've cast a Romeo and Juliet that are both young actors that don't know each other, especially if they don't know each other, to kind of find that thing. We have uh, the last time that they did it, here we were not in that production but the romeo and juliet married the actors married one another yeah and so i think there's a kind of you know sometimes a connection gets made you know and it's like shakespeare is your your wooing words you know shakespeare is your but i think it's difficult if you don't have that i don't know what chemistry is i don't know the answer to that but i don't know Mm -hmm. how you 
can make it until you kind of, I mean, you can rehearse it to a certain extent, but I don't know how you get the spark. That's why so many, I mean, it's sort of a stereotypical thing that Romeo's and Juliet's fall in love. Right. Yeah. 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 And, then, and sometimes it lasts and sometimes yeah, then, it's a showman. And three weeks into the run, they break up and it's a disaster. Yeah, right. And then it's <laughs> then, yeah. and then the tragedy is real. Yeah, just before I can't resist, I have to I'm just intrigued by this idea that you've done almost 70 productions together. And when I think, oh wow, what does that really mean for a relationship? I imagine, well, what if a couple read a book together, like one book together every year. Wouldn't that be a bond strengthening activity? But to do 70 productions where you go, I mean, we're not talking about a book of the month club. We're talking about textual analysis and rehearsing together and inhabiting those worlds together and performing for an audience and learning about what it means to be human over and over and over again through so many different lenses. It's just, it's astonishing. And, and uh, what a wonderful thing you all have together. I feel so grateful because it was not by design, really. I'm so glad it worked out that way. <laughs> and so I have, a, I have a real gratitude that we've been able to kind of find a home at Hudson Valley during the summers. And what was unique about that was that it was in this beautiful tent at this beautiful location and it was outside and it, it kind of took Shakespeare text and made it more, I don't know, alive for me or visceral for me, just because Mother Nature was such a part of the whole event. The shows have magic out there. That's kind of the, it's a great venue. And, uh, and we just feel like, you know, every night has this, this chance to be, uh, you know, really special for weird reasons. I mean, last night we had a, a generator back up and it made this loud noise during the lark scene. You know, as we're like, it was the lark, you know, Harold of the Morton, this like tender little moment, <laughs> like tender post. Pop yeah. But then at the end, we walk out and they've got a moon kind of up in this tree that pops and it's really beautiful. And, uh, but just so happened last night and the moon's getting towards full right now, but the real moon was behind the tree and just per just so perfectly in, in line with it. And, uh, and just, we're just above it. We're dead walking to yeah. these two moons. <laughs> just, just like, and, uh, you know, that may never be quite the same again. Yeah. So uh, for whatever reason, that place has individual, this is the night that that happened moments almost every night. So that's kind of a, a joy of playing there. Absolutely. Anyway, when you first got into Hudson Valley, you thought, well, is that any good? Well, I had done Shakespeare in the park in the city. And, you know, so you kind of have ambitions for yourself as a young actor and you kind of think, I don't know if I should go up to a tent and roll around in the mud. You know, I don't, I'm not quite <laughs> sure if that's when you're young and you're thinking those ways, if, if that's the no. right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. You're on sort of an ambition trajectory that you think. And then after a while, I don't know when you become aware of it, but it's like, oh no, I feel like I'm so discovering something much bigger than ambition, whatever that was at the time, you know, that it, it really is feeding all sorts of parts of you. And that it's that if I am open to that and willing to do those things, that my life becomes far richer than any kind of ambition that I might have had. And so that Kurt and I are walking through that together, you know, you feel held in a way. You feel held by the universe and, and held by Shakespeare. And and as you said, I've just learned so much about being a human being by doing these plays that my my gratitude knows no bounds. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you also were just describing a good relationship too. 
Yeah. yeah, I think we're pretty, uh, we feel pretty grateful and fortunate that theater hasn't kind of torn us up. I, I feel very fortunate and very, that we've been able to do that, but it's sort of, it, it feels like great for the younger actors to see it's possible. It's possible to have a life in the theater, to have marriage, to have- And you don't have to be a movie star, or a television star. That's right. Or a YouTube star. I feel so grateful and- Right. So this current production opens on Friday and by the time this episode is out there you'll be well underway and it runs until september 18th september 18th is closing night yeah and, and uh yeah they've gotten they're they're doing the extending the festival a couple of weeks this year which is and it's at a new location it's at the garrison formerly the garrison golf course on still in the in garrison, area just a, like a mile from the old site at boscobel but uh yeah so it's a brand new uh learning curve in terms of the tents the same the audience configurations the same but the the view is of like a hill with an amazing, amazing copper beech tree. I don't know if you know that kind of tree, but the they light the, it from below, and it just looks like the tree of life. You know those. It's yeah. just like I, I just stand there dumbfounded every night. The other show is Mr. Burns, which is a new play, or not new, but a, a contemporary play. Well, that sounds fantastic, and the, the new home sounds delightful, and we can't wait to see it. Well, thanks. So we hope you will come and let yeah. us know when you're there, and. Uh, have and a yeah, picnic on the lawn. Thanks for having us here. Yeah. yeah. Kurt and Nance, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Our you. privilege. Thank you. Thank Great. you. It was delightful talking to you. Thank you. you thanks too. a lot. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. And that's our podcast. You, yeah. oh, man, I just feel, I feel so like, I just feel like I have the greatest job in the world. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that's so easy. Oh, I mean, my God. There's nothing to it. Like having coffee with somebody. It's, just, oh. it's so, like, I have this big smile on my face because yeah. it's just so delightful. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening.